This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you very much. Shua Tov. Shana Tova. You should all be blessed. I hope you enjoyed Shabbat. Was it good? Even though I wasn't here, it was still good? All right. Good. So, I want to tell you a few stories tonight. I want to give you some chizik and give you some homework. All right, he's listening. He start young with me. So this month, everyone knows, is Elul. Roshet Tevot, Ani Lizodi, Lizodi I am to my loved one, and my loved one is to me. As a, as a boy growing up, when I learned this in the Shulchan Aruch, I didn't understand what does love have to do with with Elul. Elul should be Ani Tshuva. Ani L'Tshuva, L'Tshuva Lee. Elul's a time to do Tshuva. Elul's a time to be scared. Elul's a time to pray. Say Tehillim. And if you're Sfardi, say Slichot. From Rosh Chodesh Elul, Ashkenazim, we start tonight. Tonight we start. You know why? Sfardim. So the Ashkenazim say because they do a lot more sins. That's not, that's not the reason. That's not the reason. The reason is that in Chodesh Om, we can't eat meat, and we can't shave, and we can't have weddings, and the Svadim is only Shvur Shecholbo. So we already, we do it for three weeks. We do it from Shiva Asabatamuz until Tishalov. You only do it for a couple of days. Hashem makes everything even. So Slichot, you do for four weeks, and we only do it for a couple of days. So tonight's really the beginning, but I don't understand what's the love. I love you, you love me. What does that have to do with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Also, also, Elul stands for Ishlerei Ehu Umatanot. We say this in in, in Megillah's Esther Umatanot Le'Evyonim. What does that have to do with Rosh Hashanah? I don't think anyone in this room ever got Shlachmonot on Rosh Hashanah. And Matanos Le'Avyonim, you can't give on Rosh Hashanah. So the, the rabbi found in Purim, Aleph Lamed Vav Lamed, and now they decided to make it part of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. What's, what's, really, what's really going on over here? So really, the rabbis were very, very, very smart. Because nobody in this room, nobody in this world, has a chance on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur if we don't have a relationship with Hashem. If Hashem is just the judge, it's like, you should never know from this, but there's a thing called an IRS audit. When the tax IRS comes and they go through your books, never do they leave without finding something. They will always find something, sometimes big, sometimes small, but they will always find something. If Hashem judges us Badin, where he's sitting in his throne, he say, Hadin, you have no chance. Everything is on video. Everything. Everything you did wrong and everything you did right is on video. Everything has sound. Not only that, but your makshava 
what you were thinking when you did the Avera or the Mitzvah, it's all there. So it's very hard to pass Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur Badin. I'll tell you a story. I left my cookies in the in, in the car, but if afterwards I'll, sh- I'll show you that I'm, what I'm saying is true. I'll tell you a story. I know the story from the person that it happened to. So it's not a story I read in a book. There was a young man, perfect for this for this weekend. He doesn't Shomer Shabbat. He didn't know anything about Judaism, about being Yehudi. But in America, there's something called Hebrew school, day school, Hebrew school, Sunday school, where children who go to public school, who know nothing about Judaism, every Sunday they go to Talmud Torah. Today there's not that many left, but, in the, but 40, 50, 60 years ago, every, every town had a Talmud Torah. This boy went to Talmud Torah just on Sundays. He was a superstar basketball player. Superstar, one of the best, high school, high school superstar. And he really liked the rabbi, this rabbi that he met by the Talmud Torah. So for a few years, he would come to him on Rosh Hashanah. He would ride his bicycle. He didn't keep, he didn't keep the yonder the Chag. He would come by bicycle and he would visit the rabbi after Shacharit, Ashkenazim, after Shacharit, we make Kiddush, and then there's a half an hour break, and then we blow Shofar. So he would come to the rabbi by the half an hour break. And then he would go to Shul to listen to the first hundred sounds of the Shofar, and then he would go, we didn't keep Rosh Hashanah. So one year he comes to his rabbi's house on his bicycle, and he comes inside and says, Rabbi, I was up all night practicing. Today, Rosh Hashanah, we have the biggest basketball game, he's the 12th grader of the season. It's a championship game. And the college people are coming to see the good ball players to bring them to their college and then to the NBA. That's how good he was. He says, Rabbi, I am so sorry, but I can't come to the synagogue to hear the shofar because I got to go to my game. But I just wanted to say happy holiday. Rabbi said, listen, I didn't make kiddush yet. Some potato kugel before you go to the game. Let me go in the kitchen, put some cookies together for you, whatever it is. Okay, next year you'll come hear the shofar. I understand that you have a game. It was a year when one day, the first day was Shabbat. So the year was only one day of shofar. If he missed that day, he missed his shofar, but he had a basketball game. So the rabbi goes into the kitchen. A few minutes later, the boy gets up, gets onto his bicycle, and rides to the game. And he's riding across the street, and all of a sudden he hears, boom! Car hits him flying off the bicycle, head first hits the concrete. All the people are jumping out of their cars, running over. Oh my gosh, look what happened. This poor kid. And some of them are like, oh, I can't look at this. Oh, so much blood. Oh, terrible. I can't look at this. And he's like, 
What's going on? Get me up. I got a game to go to. He's talking. I'm okay. Nothing happened. I'm all right. Let's go. And everyone, they're calling the ambulance, 911, and they're screaming police, and everyone's calling on their phones, and they're trying, and no one's talking to him. And they take him, and they put him in the ambulance. And he thinks that the whole thing was a setup. The whole thing was a setup. The other team doesn't want to lose. So they did this whole thing and make him think that there's something wrong with him. And he keeps screaming, get me up, I want to go to my game. Get me up, I want to go to my game. They put him in the ambulance and everybody's working on him. And he's talking to the, the doctors in the ambulance, to the emergency guys. And he's like, okay, enough bandage my head. Let's go, I got, I got to go to the game. And nobody's talking back to him. Nobody's talking back to him. And they bring him into the hospital and they bring him into the operating room. He's like, get me out of here, get me off this. And nobody's talking to him. And the doctor says, forget about it. There's no one to operate. We lost him, he passed. He's like, I didn't pass. I'm very alive, I gotta go to my game. Get me out of here. And the doctor covers him up with a sheet, over. And now he's underneath the sheet and he's, he's like, I don't understand. I can see. I can talk, I can hear, I'm not dead. But nobody's talking to me. Now they covered me with a sheet. And then his mother and father come into the room. And his mother takes the sheet and she starts screaming, Kenny, I can't believe this happened to my Kenny. What happened to him? I lost my Kenny. He's like, Ma, you can't be working for the other team. Come on, Ma, talk to me. Dad, talk to me. Nothing. She faints in her husband's arms. She's like, my mother, this is, something's, something's not making any sense. They take him downstairs. I'm sorry that I have to tell you the story the way he told me, but that's the way he told me the story. They take him downstairs to the morgue, and they slide him in to this refrigerator, and all of a sudden it goes dark. And he's like, is it possible that I'm talking and I'm hearing and I'm seeing, but I'm not alive? And then all of a sudden, in this little dark thing that he is, he becomes free of it. There's this huge light. And he's in a room, and it's very light. And there's a table like this. This is scary with three chairs. Now you're all alive, everybody, you're all alive, don't worry. It's just Trevor Wallace thing, don't get nervous, don't get nervous. And there's three chairs like this, and he can't see their faces, but he sees these long white beards, and there's a palace, like, right over their eyes. And he's like, what's going on, where am I? And they hear the three rabbis going, Chaim ben Moshe. Hope there's no Chaim ben Moshe in this room. I'm gonna get all nervous, have nightmares tonight. Chaim ben Moshe. No, my name is Kenny. My name's Kenny. You got the wrong guy. Chaim ben Moshe. 
It's your judgment day, you passed away today, you're in the world to come. What, what, what does that mean? What, what's going on here? Rabbis, talk to me. What's happening? What's going down here? Judgment day. But what happens on my judgment day? Malach A, bring in the scale. Now don't bring in the scale that you go on in the morning in the bathroom to see how much you lost or how much you gained after Shabbat. You definitely all gained, you didn't lose. Forget about it. Wait two days before you go on the scale. It's a scale with two sides. Like the old scales. Now, how does it work? All the mitzvot that Chaim ben Moshe ever did get on the scale. The right side of the scale. And all the malachim, because everybody in this room, whenever you do a mitzvah, you create an angel. Not all of them have all their body parts. If you prayed today and you said the words, but you weren't thinking about the words, you create an angel without a head. If you went to do a mitzvah, but instead of walking, you took a shortcut, you have an angel without feet. So there are angels in the next world. He really wants to come close, this kid. Okay, one day you'll be Rabbi Wallerstein's Talmud. Relax. Not tonight, but we'll get there. Once the pacifier comes out. So we create all kinds of malachim. We do some big mitzvahs. Samurai malachim. We do some little mitzvahs. Eh, skinny guys. Anyway, he didn't do that many mitzvot because he didn't know. So there weren't that many mitzvot, white angels, white sumerai angels that went on to the right side. And the three rabbis said, it's not looking so good. Let's bring out the angel of defense, Malach Gabriel. Malach Gabriel comes walking out, takes a look at the scale. He's like, Zeloto, this is not so good. There's only a few of them. But when it comes to Jewish people, Machshava Kemaisa. When you think of doing a mitzvah, even if you don't get to do the mitzvah, like you want to give a poor man to that guy and all of a sudden he's not there. Machshava Kemaisa, the next world, when it comes to good, whenever you think of doing good, even if you don't do it, it counts. When it comes to bad, it doesn't count. Special presence Hashem gave us. You want to do a big Avera and you get a flat on your way to the movies, you get a flat and you can't get there. You're on your way to the Apple store to get the brand new Apple phone with everything on it. And you realize your credit card doesn't work. So you don't get credit for that other era. But if you're going to buy Svarim in the store and your credit card doesn't work, which I'll tell you a story about tonight, then you get the mitzvah. It's a special gift Hashem gave us. Now this boy, Kenny, Moshe, he really wanted to keep Shabbat. He wanted to do a lot of things. His parents didn't let, but he's always thinking, I want to put on tefillin. I want to be a good Jew. I want to get religious. So all the malachim of all his thoughts come into the room. 
And there are thousands of good thoughts that he had. And they pile up on the right side. And the Malach of says, okay, much better. And on the left side, by all of us, this happens by all of us, everyone, on the left side is the Satan. He's the prosecuting angel. He's the guy that tells you, do it, do it, do it, do it. Do that on day one, do it, do it, do it. And then when you do it, he's the one who prosecutes you and says, ah, I got him to do it, look what he did. He, he's the one who takes the movie. He's the opposite of Torah anytime. He's Avera anytime. So he's the one who takes the movie. Don't support Avera anytime, whatever you do. Support Torah anytime, not Avera anytime. So he's the prosecuting angel. And he's like, my turn. All the Averot that the Moshe ben Chaim did, get on the scale. Never he ate girls. Non-Jewish music, you name it. Oy vey, they get on to the, they get on, they get on, they get on. They're coming down the hall one after another. Big black angels. Some also not with heads, because he didn't really want to do it. And finally, everyone is on the scale. And for the first time in the history of heaven, it was a tie. Perfectly even. Rabbis were like, wow, we never had a tie. The first time we had a tie, Chaim Moshe has a tie. What do we do? The Sultan says, a tie? He's mine. I'll take him to Gehenam, to the barbecue in Shemayim, the big barbecue. And Gabriel says, oh no, tie? He's mine. So rabbis, what do we do? And all of a sudden the clerk, there's a clerk up there, another angel says, hold it! There's an angel coming down the hall. And the Moshe goes, oh man, I hope he's white. If he's white, I go to heaven. Something goes, what white? Black. You're mine. Your soul is mine. So you have to understand, I don't want to fall off the chair tonight. When I was younger and I told this story, I used to stand on the chair. So he's jumping up and down. Black, white, what are you? Come on, get out of here. Please be white, please be white. Because this is forever. This is forever. He's either going to go to Gehenna or Gehenna. This is not a joke. He's like, and, and, and the Sultan's like, black. And Gabriel's like, white. And he's like, white against black. It sounds like color war. They go, why? I'm black. And why am I? You're not the poor guy. Poor Kenny, poor Chaim Emotional, please be white. And out comes the Malach, everybody. First time in the history of heaven. He's half black and half white. You didn't see that coming, did you? You all, I hope it's black. Okay, anyway. Rabbi say, what's that? Who are you? Big Malas, half black, half white. I don't know if it was this way or if it was this way, half black and white. It doesn't make a difference. So Chaim Ben Moshe walks over to him and says, Excuse me? What are you? What mitzvah? Like, what do you, what, are, what do you represent? 
And the Malach looks at him with his fiery eyes, looks into the sign of Moshe's face, he says, Oh, me? I'm the mitzvah of the chauffeur this year, second day Rosh Hashanah. No. Oh, no. I didn't go with my Rebbe. I, I went to the basketball game. No! You're not! No! And the Malach starts to turn black. The whole white is turning black. No, I didn't go with my rabbi to the chauffeur. And the sucker walks over to him and says, Yes! You're mine! In hell, me and you, Gehenim, forever! And he's like, No! And the sucker takes his long fingers and grabs him by the shoulder. And he says, No! And Rebbe says, Kenny, wake up. What are you screaming about? What are you talking about? What are you doing up here in Shemaya? We're not in Shemaya, you're in my house. What do you mean I'm in your house? What do you mean? There was a black malach. I think it was, I think it was like a malach of the Satan. And there was this nice malach. I think they called him Gabriel. And there was these rabbis. Oh my gosh. And there was just this black and white and black and white. And it was about to show. One second. What's going on here? So he said, I don't know. I told you I'm going in the kitchen to get you some cookies and some kogel. I'm going to make kiddush. He said, you have to go to a game. And you put your head down and, and you're screaming like a Meshuganah. He says, you mean you didn't blow shofar yet? He goes, no, we didn't blow shofar yet, but you told me you're not coming. He goes, Rabbi, I am coming. I'm going to hear that shofar. Trust me. Now, how do I know this story? It wasn't me. No, it wasn't me. So when I was in camp, so I wasn't such a good kid. I didn't like to learn. And... In camp, we had this superstar, religious basketball player that the camp actually brought because we were playing other camps. And he was my learning rabbi, this guy. Big guy, like 6'4". And I was playing around with all my friends who were using our magnifying glass to burn the table. A couple of ants and a couple of mosquitoes. And he's like, boys, you don't understand what one word of Torah creates an angel. Like, yeah, okay. I'll get plenty of angels. He says, No, no, you don't ever know when you need that angel. And he told me he told this guy told me the story and he said that he packed a hat, he wasn't religious, came from Columbus, Ohio. He was by his rabbi, and he had this crazy dream. Everybody in this room, it's not a dream. It's exactly what happens on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We go in front of a court. Front of Bezner Shalmailo, and every mitzvah that you do, and every avera that you do is put on a scale. And the reason I'm telling you this is because now we have a couple of days more to create samurai white angels. So it's not an Ashkenazi minig, it's not a Friday minig, it's a Wallerstein minig. Then in my house, after I said this story for the first time, which must be 20 years ago, we have at the table, besides apples and honey, we have black and whites. Little cookies, they're called black and whites. You can buy them in the store. And a few years, that's why I'm in high. Each kid gets a black and white. But a few years, and I have them in the car. I was going to bring them in. I forgot to bring them in. Each kid gets one, except... Many years ago, my daughter said to me, Ta, you're not allowed to have anything that reminds you of an Aveda on Rosh Hashanah. That's why you're supposed to dress in white. You're not supposed to have... 
So now we have pink and whites. Seriously. So it would be very nice if you go home, buy for Rosh Hashanah table pink and whites, and put them on the table and tell your children the story of Kenny, of Sam and Moshe. That's one story. I'm going to answer my question in two minutes of, of Elo, Anila Daidi, what does what does love have to do with it? Well, I want to tell you another story. This just happened in Israel two weeks ago when I was there. This, this I'm going to give you homework. I'm going to give you something to do. And this is bothering me for two weeks. I'm not going to say I'm not, I don't sleep. I sleep anyway. But it bothers me very much. And, I, and if you have an answer, please give me the answer when I, before I leave here tonight. So I was in Israel to speak on Shalom Bias. I'm not doing Shalom Bias tonight, but I met a, a student of mine from a very long time ago at the Kotel. I was here for 10 hours, that's it. He says to me, Rebbe, my rabbi gave us something to do. I think you need to know about it. I'm like, okay, well, tell me what happened. He said, we're sitting in class, 25 guys. And my rabbi got up and said, listen, if you can't, if your person passed away and you came to the next world, and Hashem said, Oh, oops, you passed away an hour early. I'm sending you back down for one hour. What would you do with that hour? I said, Wow. I know what I won't do. I'm not going to listen to a Yankee game because I'll never make it to the World Series anyway. I only got an hour. I'm not going to look at my WhatsApp status because in an hour I'm gone. Who cares? I'm not going to check my stocks because what am I going to do with them? I'm gone in one hour. I'm not going to go on WhatsApp or Facebook because that's just a waste of time. I'm gone in an hour. Check my status. So who cares what my status is? I know what it's going to be in an hour. But what would I do? So I said, I, the first thing I would do is say, Thank you for giving back my neshama and that I'm back alive again and I have one hour. That's number one. Number two, I take a glass of water and say, Everything is you, Hashem. That's number one. Then I go say hello to my wife before I was dead. And then I go to every one of my children. I have five daughters. And my son-in-laws, I go to every one of their houses and give them a hug and a kiss and tell, me how much, and tell them how much I love them and how much I'm going to miss them. And then I'm going to go to my 17 grandchildren and give each one a kiss and give them a bracha. And my mother, Baruch Hashem, is alive. And we go to my mother and we go to my mother-in-law. She's last, but okay, but I'll go to her for sure. I really love her. She said, I'm the best son-in-law she ever had. She only has one. She only has one daughter. That's about, that would take me about 25 minutes to go to all the kids and everything else. What am I going to do with the second half hour? Should I learn? Should I say to Helen? Should I do chesed, go to a hospital and help someone? I haven't figured out my second half hour. So ladies and gentlemen, this Rebbe said to his Talmudim, so you can't believe what I'm saying. Every single day, you have 24 hours. 
The one hour when you figure out what you would do with it, do that every single day. One hour out of 24. Kiss your children, your wife, your mother, say a shahakal, say a moda'ani, and whatever you can figure out, whatever you're going to do tonight when you sit with your paper and you're like, this is what I would do for that hour. I definitely would not be on my iPhone. I definitely would not waste my life on a piece of metal that has no life. That's a web called a web. You know what a web does? A web catches flies. But don't see the web. It's called a net. In the dictionary, a net is used to catch things that don't want to be caught. Butterflies and fish. It's called a cell. A cell is where prisoners live. I didn't write this. And then when you look on your keyboard, it says enter, right? Enter. But there's no exit. It says escape. Once you're in, you're not, out. You're not getting out. You're a prisoner. Prisoners escape. People exit. The sign outside says exit. It doesn't say escape. Don't waste your life on something that has no life. Your children have life, your wife, your husband, your parents, other people who need you. Don't waste your life. Rabbi Wallerstein, Baruch Hashem, I have a residential treatment center, which is a rehab, which is an equine rehab with horses. It's very involved. It's 20 acres up in the mountains. I have a high school for girls who, who are struggling. I have two seminaries in America. I, Baruch Hashem, have a huge business, a plastic bag packaging business, a family. And I'm a practicing Jew. And I do all that with this. That's it. Smart people, smart people have stupid phones. And I'm not going to tell you what kind of people have smartphones. The most precious thing that everyone in this room has is the hardest thing to give away. What is the only thing in life you cannot live without for even a millionth of a second? What? You can hold your breath for a minute underneath the water. You can live without Shabbat. There's a lot of people living without Shabbat. A lot of people living without God. They're, they're atheists. You can live without a neshama. Everything that's living has a nefesh. The goyim don't have a neshama. They have a nefesh. Time. When you have no more time, you're gone. Not even a millionth. Hashem had to figure it out to a millionth of a second. The one thing a human being can't live without. A girl in my school said, "Love." That must be people who live without love. The one thing you can't live without for one millionth of a second is time. And that is the reason it is the hardest thing to give to another person. It's my time. You are on my time. Time is the most precious thing. And you know why in English it's called the present. Because every second that you're living in is the greatest present. How do you know if someone loves you? They can give you money, they can give you jewelry, they can give you kavod, but if you want to know if someone loves you, the person gives you time. A parent that gives a child time, not toys, not Elmo, not technology, 
and phones and all that, parents who give the child time, tell that child that I love you. A husband, they give, I do shalom bayit, a lot of it. The couple, I always, I never see one without the other. It's my rule. Husband and wife have to come together. I don't want to hear the wife talking about the husband and the husband. They come together and I always let, I'm smart, so I always let the woman talk first. I always let them talk first. Ladies first. I'm like, so what's going on here? You're married 12 years, you're married 20 years, you're married 30 years, you're married six months, it doesn't matter how, how long they're married. I ask every woman the same thing. Why are you here? And every woman says the same thing. He doesn't love me anymore. And I'm like, what does that mean? And she says, he is so busy, he has no time for me. Very sad. So I'm like, so what do you want from him? She goes, what do I want from him? I want him to stop being busy with everything else but me. It will say the same thing. And every husband says like, I don't understand what she's talking about. You see, it's her problem. I'm like, why? I paid, I paid the mortgage. The sugar does. She doesn't care that you paid the mortgage. Her father also paid the mortgage. She didn't get married to pay the mortgage. So I turn to the man. I say, okay. Baruch Hashem, one of the most important things in marriage is what? Communication. She's telling you she can talk. She's telling you she wants your time. So here's my idea. For three days, the two of you are going to go away together. You're going to leave your phones with me. And you leave your kids with your in-laws. <laughs> and you're going to go to a place in Mexico called Las Cabos. Las Cabos is on a mountain. And each one has their own villa with a pool. So you don't have to go mix swimming, Pastor Shalom. It's your own little pool. But they have no phone reception. They have one public phone in the main house. There's no television, no radio, no phone. They say like this. If a husband and a wife go there for a week, they're either going to be so married like nobody's business or they're going to get divorced. One of the two things. Because all of a sudden, all they have is each other. Right? I said, so go. Go for three days. Just the two of you. Nothing. And give your wife some time. And the guy looks at me. It's a true story. He looks at me and he says, three days? I'm like, yeah, three days. He goes, do they have to be like in a row? Or can I do like one, two months, do another one, and then I'll do another one? You're laughing. She was crying. To love someone is to give them time. What are we all asking for with Shoshana Yom Kippur? What are we asking for? One thing. You want money? You want health? You want to get married? You want to have children? You want to get a new car? All that stuff doesn't work if you're dead. Sorry. Not getting married if you're dead. Not having any more kids if you're dead. You're definitely not making money. Well, your wife might be because you had life insurance, but you're not making any more money if you're dead. So all those, all that stuff that we ask Hashem for, all that stuff, are details. But the most important thing that we need to have is life. What is life? Time. What is time? Potential. And we need to figure out, if God gave us one hour, 
what we would do at what, that one hour, because guess what? We're asking Hashem on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur to give us 24 hours times seven times 62. You're asking for a lot of time. You better be able to show him that you know how to use it. Because the Satan has a new weapon. Everybody on Rosh Hashanah, you know what, you know what the Satan puts up? How much time you were on your phone. He shows Hashem your Verizon bill. 26,284 minutes. And now you come in front of Hashem, you're like, I need time. What do you need time for, your kids? You're not, you're not giving your kids time. Your wife, you're not giving her any time. Learning Torah, you've been, you, you, you just want your phone. I'm not giving you life so you can be on your phone, be on your WhatsApp every day, all night, all day. That's what you want life for? So we have a little time. I think someone just came over to me and asked me to sign. He wanted to, someone that I know very well, he wants to lease a car. It's a true story. Just happened this week. He wants to lease a car. His, his, his credit number, his credit number is like 541. It's like he is on the bottom. You need to have a 675 plus, 700, 800. So they said, no, get a co-signer. So he came to me by your co-signer. Like, what, 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 how do you get 540? How did that happen? He says, I, I, I didn't pay my credit cards on time. I said, how about the minimum? Just pay the minimum on time. He said, I didn't pay my minimum on time. So I got no credit. I can't get anything. Credit cards are all blown out. I said, wow, what a speech. You just gave me a speech for Shoshone Yom Kippur. We come to Hashem and we're like, no, I promise this year I'm going to learn. I'm going to keep Shabbos better. I'm going to be more to the youth. I'm going to be nicer to people, right? And then we come to Rosh Hashanah. They're like, let's, let's check his credit, his credit score. He didn't keep this. He didn't keep this. He didn't keep this. He didn't even do the minimum. He doesn't have credit to give him another year. So I said, did you, did you call anyone? They have these people who clean up credit. I said, did you call anyone? You got to clean up your credit. I can't sign every time you want to get something. He says, yes, I called up. I said, what did they tell you to do? They said I should pay whatever I owe. Let's say $100,000. I should pay two thirds of it. If I pay two thirds of it, it'll take me to the 600, high enough to get, to get another car if I need one. I said, so get the money together and, and, and pay. We have 10 days left. No, what 10 days? A week left to pay our minimums, everybody whatever you promised last year, show them in the last week. Get your credit score up. Everything in this world has a comparison in the next world. Everything. You have a week to clean up your credit because all the stuff you promised last year, you didn't keep. Still talking Russian horror. Still listening and looking at things we shouldn't be looking at. So like, the Satan's like, credit score 541, Hashem. We're not giving him another new lease on life. He's not giving a new lease on life. Who's going to co-sign for him? Mm-hmm. We got one week left to clean up our credit, everybody. So it's going to be, it's tough. How are we going to fix it? And the way to fix it is to have a relationship with our Kurdish Baruch To have a relationship with God. So that when you walk in, imagine, I went to court. I had to go to court. It was a situation, whatever. I had to go to court. I was so scared. It wasn't a scary thing, but I absolutely was so scared. Courtroom, New York City, and then you got to go through the metal detector, and then you got to go up there, and you sit in a courtroom with a judge and lawyers, 
and that big American thing on the wall. And I, I was like, ah, ha, 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 shaking. And that's, that's a stupid court. And it was for money. It wasn't like, it wasn't, it wasn't like a big deal, whatever it is. But the whole, the whole courtroom scene. But imagine if I would have walked in there, it would have been my father sitting there. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, they just lost. There's no way my father's going to make me lose. He's going to figure out some way to get me to win. Or if it's my wife and we get along, nothing to worry about. Or my mother, that would be a real winner. She would never let her son lose. Very different than a judge I never saw before. And I'm thinking, my yarmulke, he's an anti-Semite. He's going to be against me. He's going to hate me. So if the judge in Shemayim, you have a relationship with him, when you show up in court in Shemayim, you're like, it's very different this month than any other month because, you see, in my Sholomayas class, I talk about this. You don't have a right, a husband and a wife, you don't have a right to expect your wife to express her love for you or your wife has no right to express to expect you to express it unless she does the same thing. I can't say all day long to my wife, I love you, and she doesn't say anything. So we have to express to each other. It's a relationship. During the year, Hashem says the following. I love you. In the morning when you say, I chose my nation with love. Every person in this room, Hashem says, I love you. Then Hashem says, now that I said that, Kriyashma, Lahafta, now you have to love me. At night, what do we say? Again, Hashem says, I love you, and therefore, Shema, you have to say you love me. In Elo, we go the other way around. We say, Hashem, I love you, and therefore, you have to love me. I am expressing my feelings to you first, and then you have to, then Hashem says, I love you. So we have to have a relationship in the next ten, the next week. We have to develop a relationship to show Hashem how much we love Him. So, everyone that has a child in school knows that that you'd rather somebody treats your child good than they treat you good. Our children are more important than ourselves. So Hashem says, "You want to show your love for me? Take care of another Jew." So I started something. And it's just, just now I'm, I have 13, I'm speaking in 13 places. I spoke in Manchester, I spoke in London, Antwerp, Israel, Toronto, Chicago, Miami, Orlando. This week I'm in Lakewood and Muncie and in LA and in Montreal. And I'm telling everyone the same thing. I'm German, my parents are German. It's a German minute to write a note to your parents and put it under their plate for Shoshana at night. I'm doing this since I'm a kid. My father's gone 20 years, I can't put one under his plate, but I put one under my mother's plate. So me, my brother, my sister, we put it under their plate. I write to my mother how much I love her, how much I appreciate she gave birth to me, although they wouldn't be here. I don't know how much she appreciates it, but I appreciate it, and, and that she's the best mother I ever had, and the only mother I ever had, and all the beautiful things that she's done for me all my life. And it's very important to her that she gets these letters. So everybody in this room, it's a, Baruch Hashem, if you have parents, you should write a letter, no matter how old you are, I don't care if you're 90, and your mother's 110. You should write a letter, because it's not like this, this silly internet where you can't keep anything. I have letters from my grandmother when I was nine years old, which goes back 100 years, 
and I read them all the time. A letter is a beautiful thing. It's a lost art because we have these stupid phones and we don't have it anymore. But everyone in this room, write a letter to your parents. But Rabbi Wallerstein started something new this year. Because of the generation we live in, every parent, write a letter to each one of your children. How beautiful, how important, and how special they are. And if they're giving you agita and they're not doing very well, just tell them that you love them. You don't love what they're doing, but you love them. Because every child needs to know to get a letter from a parent, to be able to keep in your drawer, the most precious thing in the world. So this Rosh Hashanah, underneath those plates, should be a lot of letters. And then the husbands should write a letter to your wife. And make sure, husbands, I'm doing Shalom Bias for a long time, don't buy her a Hallmark card and just sign it. <laughs> Write something from your heart. I know it's hard. And ladies, even though you think that men don't need compliments because we're guys, God bro, let me tell you something. When my wife was not here tonight, or when my wife comes to my speech, if she says it was good, it means more than anyone else because women are very real, and therefore husbands, they work very hard, some of them really look good. Just write, hey, you're good looking. We'll be very happy with that, we'll be very happy. <laughs> well, you're not such good looking, but you're brilliant, don't write that. Just write something nice to your husband, and if you have a house, imagine Rosh Hashanah, where everyone's opening their cards, how much they care about each other, and complimenting each other, and the Shekhinah is there, because Baruch Hu will give that family 100,000% a good new year. It's a good thing to do. And write a list. I did this last year to Hashem. Write a list of 10, 20 things you thank Hashem for. Put it in your machzer. And when you say, read that list. You see, if you have a list and you write that list to Hashem, let's say 20 things, he'll give you 25 the next year. And then you'll write 25, you have a grandson, a grandchild, whatever it is, you'll give another five. Because someone who has a karsato, Hashem wants to give you something else for a karsato. So you got a lot of writing to do, and we don't know how to do it anymore because we're texting, 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 texting. Yitzhak Avinu knew about it. He said, how you die every day, Esau. There'll be a day that you talk, Akoko Yaakov, Jews, we talk to each other. Who texts? You die every day, Esau. It's not a Jewish thing. We like to talk. What are you texting with your fingers for? And you didn't have to have Vibor. More time, more time this year. More time with your family. I have a problem, I'm serious. I'm trying to work out, I'm on a plane now, I'm flying all the time. What am I doing with my second half an hour? What am I doing? Am I learning? Am I saying to Hillary? Am I making people smile? Am I giving a speech? I don't know. But imagine you have 24 hours every day. One hour you came back to this world. You're coming back to the world every day for 24 hours. What are you doing? Could you imagine if a person died, went to the next world, and God said, ooh, ooh, one day early, go back for a day. Oh my gosh, what we would do that day. I'm on the way here, I have my radio on, I'm listening to the Yankees, they won 101 games, 
If I only had one hour, what do I care? <laughs> yeah, you had a one hour. I kid Netanyahu won, some other guy won, I'm gone. Israeli politics? I'm going to be busy with Israeli politics? Who cares? I'm not going to be here. Who knows in this room when you're going to be here, when you're not going to be here? You worried about Netanyahu? It's one hour. What are you doing with it? That needs to be a thought. We'll end with this story. One of my favorite stories. I had dreams as a kid. I love the zoo. I love the zoo. He was talking about the zoo before. I was here, I was listening. Something about a mother-in-law in the zoo, I didn't stop. I know what he's talking about. She went to the zoo, she did the zoo, I didn't know what he was saying. Better be careful. I'm sure his mother-in-law is not here. He wouldn't have said it. Not so brave. So anyway, so I love to go to the zoo. I love animals. My dream is to go to South Africa and, and go on a teal. So I always thought that when I get married, every Sunday, I'm going to take my kids to the Bronx Zoo. Bronx Zoo is the best zoo. Much better than any other zoo. Elephants, snakes, giraffes, and Baruch Hashem married 41 years. I never took my kids to the zoo. What happened to the dream? And then I'm like, okay, my grandchildren. You take my kids, my five daughters. Ah, they don't like animal things. They do, but I didn't take them. I still haven't taken my grandchildren to the zoo. Someday I gotta go, yeah, I gotta go there. Well, what happened to all these dreams? I'll tell you a story. It was a young boy, he was 19 years old, he got a job on Wall Street. His dream was to get a job on Wall Street in the stock market. He got a job on Wall Street. And his first day, he's going to Wall Street. There's a big restaurant, I don't know if you've ever been on Wall Street, there's like a big restaurant on the right-hand corner as you approach the stock exchange. And in the window of the restaurant was a bottle of wine. The whole restaurant was built around this bottle of wine. And the bottle of wine was from 1875. Do the math. It's 100, like 140 years old. And this kid sees this bottle of wine from 1875. And he's enamored. He's just looking at it. He's like, wow, I would love to have that bottle of wine. So he knocks on the door to the restaurant. Maitre D comes walking out. This kid in his jeans, cut off t-shirt, says, what do you want? No, we don't, we don't want no waiters. We don't want no busboys. We're, we're, we're full. He says, no, no, no. How much is that bottle of wine in the window? Ah! Get away from here. It's not for you. How much is it? $10,000. Wow, that's a lot of money for a bottle of wine. Hey, 1875. Okay, bye. He goes to his job. What was his job? A low male room, $10 an hour guy. Who's ever never going to get that bottle of wine? But he gets crazy about it, and he falls in love with his bottle of wine. And every morning, he talks to it. He puts his face in the window, you know, when they have that glass washed against your nose. He's like, "Good morning, love. How you doing? You know, me and you, one day, me and you, sugar, talking to a bottle of wine." And every day for a whole year, he goes by and he's looking at it and he's dreaming and he's fantasizing. 
going to buy it, and then I'm going to take the cork out, I'm going to smell it, and then I'm going to pour myself a glass of wine, and I'm going to go like this, look at the color, smell it, let it breathe, and then we're going to get married. Sugar nut, crazy kid. For two years, it's him and this bottle of wine. His fantasy, his dream, his everything. Rabbi Wallerstein taking his children and grandchildren to the Bronx Zoo. And how we're going to laugh when we see the elephants, and we're going to feed the seals, and I had it all down. Peanuts, we're going to bring peanuts, it's going to be amazing. And then one day, the boss comes over and says, you know what? You are such a good worker. We're giving you a raise, and we're going to make you into a stockbroker. And here's an envelope to start you off. And he goes into a little mail room, and it's a pretty thick envelope, probably 20s, 5s, 10s, opens it up, and it's hundreds. And he counts 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 7,000, oh my God, 8,000, hold on, 9,000, $10,000! She's mine. Yes. And he tucks it in his pocket. He's shaking, he's not shaking, shaking, $10,000, this is a dream. And he goes home and he calls Zeller's tuxedos. And he says, listen, Thursday I need you to deliver me a tuxedo. Thursday night I have a special night. I'm getting married. Wow, okay, we'll have it there. Limousine, limousine, listen, Thursday night I need you for five hours. I'm getting married, no problem. Calls up the restaurant, hello, this is Michael. Hey Michael, how can we help you? Could I get a reservation for one? One? Yes, but I want to sit. You know you have a bottle of wine in your restaurant? Yeah, sure, the 1875. Yeah, sure. I just want, I want to sit facing it. I just want to watch it. Okay, no problem, we can do that. Shows up in a limo. So the, the major D who doesn't recognize him is here, so he'll grease back, he's wearing a tuxedo with a big bow tie, getting out of a limo. Oh, the major D thinks we got a sucker here, we got a rich guy here. He takes him to the table and he sits him down and he, you know, he opens up the menu. Of course, he can't read it. It's in French. He doesn't know which way to look at it. And the, 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 they come over and say, hey, how can we help you? He says, um, I, I don't know what he got here. They're like, well, he did, he did, he doesn't understand French. He says, just give me one appetizer, soup, main dish, dessert, the best that you have. Tonight, I'm getting married. Wow, what are you doing here? It's a long story. I'm getting married tonight. He sits down, and the, and, the, and the girl comes. She had a paper. The girl comes. I'm stealing the reference paper. The girl comes and says, um, would you like to look at our wine list? He's like, eh, wine list. I don't need no wine list. You see the bottle in the window? I want to buy it. Oh, well, it's not for sale. It's for sale. Call the maitre d'. Maitre d' comes over. I want the bottle in the window. Maitre goes, oh, sir. I mean, that's our whole, that's our restaurant. I mean, it's $10,000. $10,000? And we don't take credit cards. We don't want you afterwards saying you're reversing the credit card and we don't take checks. You'd have to have, you'd have to have cash right now if you want it. Really? Cash? Capped it. He goes, I, what? Counsel, he says, okay. We got to get a window dresser. We got to get it out of the window, but we got to do it carefully. So you enjoy dinner. We'll get it out for you. And they start to work on getting it out. And the waitress says, listen, sir, in the meanwhile, how about some 
white wine with your fish appetizer. Yo, sure, I'll have some white wine. She gives him a glass of white wine. He's not a drinker. He knocks it back. He's thirsty. He knocks it back. Then comes the soup. They give him another wine. Then comes the main dish. Gets a red wine. Meanwhile, they're finagling and they're trying to get this bottle out. Finally, they get the bottle out. He gets dessert. He's got a big glass of sangria. He is so drunk. He is so blitzed out of his brain. And they bring him the bottle. Sir, thank you for buying this bottle for $10,000. Here it is. I'm going to sit down. You don't mind if I sit down. Because he's sitting in the restaurant, so you have to watch this. A bottle? Oh, okay. Open it. Sir, for $10,000? You don't want to open it? What kind of restaurant is this? You don't even open a bottle of wine for someone? Sure, we'll, we'll open it for you. Eh, what kind of place is this? They open the wine. And they give them the cork. Sir, you want to smell the cork? What, you got a smelly cork? No, no, don't you want to smell the cork? Who wants to smell a cork? What does the cork smell like? Who is it across the room? In a restaurant. Okay, um, would you like us to pour the wine for you? Or would you like to pour the wine? No, I can pour my own wine. What do you think? And his hand's shaking, of course. And he's holding the glass. And his hand's shaking. And he, he misses the glass. And he pours all the wine on the tablecloth and on his shirt. Not one drop of wine in the cup. His whole fantasy is on the table and on a shirt. And they're like, oh my God, this guy just poured all the wine, $10,000 worth of wine all over the place. Sir, we feel very bad about what happened. I poured the coffee, okay. Sir, we feel very bad what happened. In memory of the bottle, it still says 1875 on it, Here's the bottle, the empty bottle. This is the bottle I paid 10 grand for? Yeah. <laughs> it's empty. I don't need an empty bottle! Boom! Throws it across the room. Smash into 100 pieces. Nothing left from his fantasy. Nothing left from his $10,000. Bang! His head goes onto the table. He's out. He was drunk. They wake him up at 11 o'clock. Sorry, sir. Restaurant's closing. Restaurant's closing. Where's my bottle of wine? I gave you $10,000. I want my bottle of wine. They're like, the bottle of wine? You don't remember? You threw it across the room. Liars! Thieves! Ganovin! Give me my bottle of wine. You got me drunk. Give me my bottle of wine. They're like, sir, I'm calling the police! Well, maybe before you go to police, we have cameras in this restaurant. Come upstairs, we'll show you the film. Ladies and gentlemen in this room, when I say this story, it's so painful. Could you imagine this boy, two years, I'm gonna marry her, she's mine, I love her, I'm gonna smell, I'm gonna taste, smell the cork, I'm gonna taste the wine, I'm gonna swish it. His whole fantasy of life, his whole fantasy. 
And now he watches on a film. He watches on a film. How he sits there and throws the cork across the room. And he's screaming as he's watching it. No, that's not me. No, it's not me. And they're like, no, don't pour it on the floor. Don't pour it on the table. Pour it in your cup, you idiot. But it happened already. And they're like, something to remember. At least you can take home. He's like, oh, whatever you do, whatever you do, don't throw that across the room. And he watches himself fire it across the room. Fantasy over. Party over. No marriage. Every soul that comes to this world has a fantasy of what's going to happen in this world. In the other world, you can't keep Shabbat. I'm going to keep Shabbat. I'm going to make brachas. I'm going to put on tefillin. I'm going to be a tznua. I'm going to do chesed. Looks down at this world from the other world before it comes into the world, before it's a baby. Looks down and sees all this stuff. 613 mitzvahs, chesed, family, wife, children, grandchildren, everything. Time, potential. And then you go through life and you don't smell the cork, and you don't taste the wine, and you don't even have anything to show for it. And you're like, Hashem, it's your fault. Hashem said, no, I got a film. You can watch, Rabbi Wallerstein, all the Sundays you had time, you watch football, instead of taking your daughter's to it, the Brock Zoo that you promised you were going to do. All the time you wasted time on your phone when you could have been learning Torah. It's all on film. And every single year, Satan puts that film up. And says, here, Hashem, he gave him a year of life. Let's see what he did with his fantasy. He wasted, he broke it, he threw it. He didn't enjoy it. He didn't keep it. But we have a week left to fix it. Think about that hour and think about what you would do with it. And for the next week, take an hour a day Talk to your wife, talk to your husband, talk to your kids, tell them what you love them, talk to your grandchildren, make a bracha, help someone smile, do a mitzvah. And if you do that, then our credit score is going to go way up! And we'll all get a mitzvah Hashem together, a new lease on life. Shavuot tov, and a good year. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.